Welcome to the Freedom Nation podcast with Jeff Kickle. On this show, Jeff shares his expertise in financial and retirement planning from a different perspective. Planning for your Freedom Day, which is the first day that you wake up and have enough income or assets and do not have to go to work that day. Learn how to calculate what you need, how to generate income sources, and listen to interviews from others who've done it themselves. Get ready to experience your own Freedom Day. Hey everybody, it's Jeff here once again with the Freedom Nation podcast, and I am so excited today because I get to interview one of my friends who I think the absolute world of. Uh, we met probably about a year ago now, and she has one of the coolest stories you're ever going to find out about and has a really awesome podcast, and I encourage you to go to that. So my guest today is Rena Friedman Watts. Rena, good seeing you, my friend. Good seeing you too. I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I know. We've had so many conversations that we were like, crap, we should have been recording this. <laughs> I know. I was thinking that. I was like, the best always happens behind the scenes. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's kick off. You have such a fun story. So why don't you tell us your story on how you got to where you are today? Yeah. So my story started off in the radio and television industry. I yeah. worked for a radio station in college. AM 920, WBAA, listener-supported public radio from Purdue, and I loved it. I found a love there in so many ways. I loved creating voice tracks. I loved singing over the music that I was playing. I loved just seeing what worked in a radio station environment. And so from there, I applied to WGN in Chicago, drove up from Purdue to Chicago, and thought it would be easy like college to just get an opportunity, but it wasn't. So I didn't get that job. But while I was there, I saw that Jerry Springer was looking for interns and it was in the same courtyard and I managed to get through security on the same trip. And yeah. I and you didn't have to carry a chair in or anything like yeah. that. You just walked in normal. Yeah. Walked in normal, told him I'd like to meet with the intern coordinator, got through security pre 9-11 and started two weeks later. I knew that I wanted to work in entertainment. Hmm. I had always kind of loved singing and performing for my family. And they gave me that false confidence that I could do that. <laughs> so, of course, yeah. you, you wanted to work in entertainment, but you're like, uh, yeah, I'm going to go to work for Springer. So it's like entertainment on steroids, but uh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, you know, truthfully, it's funny because I interviewed there and I also interviewed for a stock exchange show in New York. Complete different experiences. Wow. And I was dating a guy at the time that was like, oh my God, you'd work for Springer? I was like, yeah, dude, I'm from Kentucky. I'm yeah. like, it. <laughs> These are my people. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that relationship ended and the other relationship was just really everything that started my career. I mean, I loved the experience. Mm -hmm. um, I learned how to book stories. I learned how to pitch stories. I learned how to do budgets. And I really saw the behind the scenes, the making of TV. And it yeah. was the forefront of reality TV. Talk oh, God, yes. Yeah. Talk shows is, I really feel like, where people started getting their 15 minutes of fame. Mm-hmm. And so from some, there, some good and some bad for that, but yeah, uh, yeah. some good, some bad. 
what people always want to know is like, what was Jerry like? Was it real? What are the stories that you remember? So I'll give you a little of that. Um, Jerry was, you know, the man, the myth, the legend. He, Mm -hmm. at at that age for me, I was straight out of college. So I was 21, 22 years old. I was a baby. So for Mm -hmm. me, he was like, up on this pedestal. He was a celebrity. Mm -hmm. I was nervous, honestly, to even pitch him the stories. Yeah. And he was so polished. He'd go out there. He would basically just ask who their names were. He told the same jokes and he wrote the final thoughts. That was like his wittiness at the end. Right. Mm -hmm. And he had it down to an art. He was a professional. He was a newscaster. You know, he knew He knew how to be succinct. He knew how to wind these people up. He knew how to make jokes. And he really like took over for Donahue at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was really that, that first generation of those kind of shows. And then it, then you had the Geraldos and the Jerry Springers and yeah, Sally Jeffries, Jesse Raphael's and And the Jenny Jones. She was in the Jenny Jones. I forgot about her. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a really exciting time to be in TV and it was truthfully even before the internet, I worked there. So we were getting, we were getting stories by people calling into the show, like the 1-800-96-JERRY number. That is how we booked the majority of our stories. And as I transitioned into the third season of working there, we were just starting to get email inquiries. And now I'm sure towards the end, it was probably all booked that way. Yeah. Just all through there or or finding stories on the internet that they wanted to bring people on and so yeah, what, uh, for you, I mean, what was that, what was that like, you know, as you kind of grew in that, what was it like dealing with that crowd of, uh, you were, you were kind of herding cats in a lot of cases. That's exactly right. I mean, there were times where I would get called in the middle of the night and find each other from, from their stories. We would divide them mm-hmm. up. You know, we'd put okay. a, a husband and a wife at one hotel and then the mistress at the other hotel, but they'd be hanging out with a story from another segment. And they're like, oh, well, they're staying at that hotel over there. And then they would find oh, each God. other and the show would happen in the street. And then that was horrible. I mean, sometimes it required me going over there. Sometimes it required, you know, a lot of talking them back into seeing mm-hmm. each other the next day. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you, I, I think when I first got to know you, you had uh, just had a chance to interview Jerry again, right? After about 20 oh my years. God. Jeff, let me tell you, getting to interview him and ask him what it was like and, and did he really understand what we went through to make that show happen? And, and how much did he really understand of what was going on behind the scenes? Because he would show up like five minutes before the show. It's like, what are their names? Who do they want to be with? Who I got this. Yeah. I'm good. You know? And like, he had no idea that we just spent like 90 to a hundred hours that week, like getting these people to come. <laughs> Trying to stop them from beating each other in the streets. And <laughs> I'm like, this one had like a restraining order. Like we sent the limo to her house to drive from Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> We couldn't trust her to get on an airplane. <laughs> and some of the guests were, uh, they were scared to fly. They had never been on flights before. Sometimes they would take trains wow. for two days to get there. I, I had a midget wow. that I just recently reconnected with. We've kept in touch for like 20 years. And she reminded me that she took a train 
for two days to come be a guest on that show. That's how bad wow. I wanted to meet Jerry. And that's, <laughs> that's a lesson. Like the guests who are huge fans of your show, they know the mm. format. They, they know what they're getting into. They are wild. They are the best guests. <laughs> that is awesome. So you, you worked there for how many years? I worked there for two and a half years. So that was yeah. two full seasons and then the season opener into a third season. And what happened was I had a guest that said to me after I produced this great show. So I thought, you know, the executives hmm. were like jumping up and down and, you know, people were tearing each other apart, which was what you got rewarded for. Yeah. Uh, he was like, how could you live with yourself? And I was like, dang, I never actually thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> like, Yeah. We were just making TV, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was collecting a good check. I got the opportunity to live in a big city. I got to work mm -hmm. on a major television show right out of college. I was living the life for a small town yeah. girl from Kentucky. And I was like, damn, you know, I can get into the Producers Guild. I've proven that I can do this. I think it's time to hang my hat. I literally mm -hmm. quit that day. I took wow. the white box as a young 23-year-old and just thought, hey, this one came easy. I, you know, I've gotten my fill. I'm, I've been li living and breathing this job for the last two and a half years. I think it's time yeah. to move to LA. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> so I tried one sales opportunity in between, but it was like mm -hmm. a dial for dollars thing. And I knew immediately yeah. that wasn't for me. Yeah, it's funny. I thought like booking guests and booking vacation packages for executives would translate, but it didn't. Mm -hmm. No, totally different but, animal. You know, <laughs> yeah, but you learn by trying things. So yep. tried that. Then um, I moved to LA and with with a guy I was actually dating at the time who I met at Springer. And mm. he got an opportunity, I know, to work on this pilot for CNN. And it was, okay. yeah, and he needed a production coordinator. So I was lucky enough that uh, I got Wait. hired to do that. And then they offered me an executive assistant role. Hmm. Um, a full-time executive assistant role to three very seasoned producers. And yes, hmm. it was kind of a step down from being a producer of a nationally syndicated show. Yeah, but, but... the way I looked at, at it was, was like, <laughs> these guys have been doing it a long time. Yeah. They have a lot of contacts. And if I'm, I'm going to learn from anybody, these are the three that are going to help me get to where I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. And they were a family-run business. I've actually interviewed them hmm. on my podcast, the Kyoto Brothers. They... Nice. Now they, they produced, oh my God, so many things, but they, they did the fabrication and the puppets for uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Okay. They did uh, this animation series for Disney called Clay. It was like an mm. interstitial. Okay. And so I got to witness that. They did Team America, which was a Paramount feature film. Mm -hmm. um, they just did Alien Christmas, which was a, a big film a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And so just really like seeing the business side of how those types of yeah. productions came together was very valuable. And I, I feel blessed that I got to work for a family run business in Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. Because so much of it is just, you know, people, you know, people working for, for people. And yeah, when you have a family run business like that, it's, you know, they're going to be much tighter. And yeah, I, I feel like too, like, it's just a different environment than working for a studio mm -hmm. where there's so many people doing the politicking like when you yeah. work for a family-run business it's 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 a, it's a different vibe 
Um, well, and, and being a production company too, it's a little bit different than, you know, working for a big studio or whatever. And yeah, I, I've learned a lot Ooh. from actually working for smaller agencies or smaller mm-hmm. shops, because when you work for smaller places, you wear more hats and there's yeah. less red tape. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the big, and, and you've got to be prepared. You know what? You're going to be doing everything. I mean, you're, you're either going to be sweeping yeah. the floors or in a, in a big meeting, you know, it's, it's what we do as small business owners. Every, you know, everybody works in the mailroom, so. Yeah. And, you know, I learned accounts payable and receivable. I learned um, location scouting. I, yeah, I did pick up coffees for the executives, but I also networked with them too. And, and you know what, I learned how much everybody was making on the production Mm -hmm. because I was doing all the time cards. I learned about SAG contracts and every skill that you learn, you can Mm -hmm. then get paid for down the road of as something that you do. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, have I was like, oh, wow. Well. <laughs> yeah, like I've, I've gotten to script supervise. Oh, I could work on a short film and be a script supervisor. Oh, I've done transcription. I could do transcription from home for a little extra pay. And mm-hmm. when I was pregnant with my with my first kid, I think, or with my second kid, I did transcription for a documentary. Yeah. Because I could do it from home and I still wanted to stay you in the industry. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you, And it's something that, okay, you can be a mom and do. And, and you're, you're working for yourself at that point. Yeah. And, and same thing too, like how I inched my way back into Hollywood after I became mm-hmm. a mom was we had moved from LA back to the Midwest and mm-hmm. they were looking for court researchers for court TV. And I was like, well, my, well, my kids are in preschool. I could go to these small claims courts and, and I know what makes a good story from having mm-hmm. booked good stories. So I Absolutely. started combing through hundreds of cases and pulling the good ones. And not only can I pick a good one, I could probably book a good one. So let me know if yeah. you need help with the booking too. So it's just finding what you're good at and then finding the yeah. opportunities of people that need those skills. Well, and I think that's, you know, we had this discussion before we got on the air, but I mean, I, you know, I think for somebody that is sitting here going, I, you know, I hate what I do for work every day. I want my freedom. I want, you know, I want to get out. There are so many opportunities in the freelance world. You know, you just have to do a little inventory of your skills. And there's people who are willing to do that or who, who are willing to pay you money to do that. Yeah. And look, if you can even beat somebody's price by a hundred bucks, you'll get the work. Yeah. So I'm planning my daughter's bat mitzvah right now. I'm hiring a DJ and he was like, Hey, you know, you can either create a montage or my team can do it for two fifty. And I'm <laughs> like, well, I know somebody that would do that for a hundred. I know somebody yeah. that would do that for 50 bucks. Right. So if you make yourself good and you make yourself, you know, a little bit lower than a professional mm-hmm. and you just need more on your portfolio. That's yeah. another thing too. look for opportunities that build your portfolio, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've done promo swaps with people just to associate with them. I had a podcaster yeah. reach out to me who was on 16 and pregnant and on teen mom. And she's a mom of four. I'm a mom of four. Mm-hmm. The chick got 50,000 impressions in one day. It took me one month to give it to her back. But just to be able to associate with her and to Mm -hmm. see what she requires in order to do a swap was worth it. Yeah. So look for opportunities where you can partner with people that by association are going to get you into the circles you want to be in. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I, you know, I think 
when I met you, you had opened up uh, so many doors to me. And I mean, it's, it's interesting though. The podcast community is such a, a interesting community of people, you know, and there's so many people that there's just not a lot of people that are out there that are podcasters that seriously do it. I, I, you know, there's, I think idiots that do a podcast for, you know, they do 20 episodes and they're like, nah, I didn't get anything out of it. I'm not doing it anymore. But the people that are really serious about it, I mean, are so open to helping yeah. and, you know, yeah. giving guidance. I mean, I've had people, you know, I had one guy I interviewed on the show and he's like, hey, I've still got, you know, 30 minutes. Let me go through and let's look at your podcast and let's see what we can, you know, let's see what you need to do to tune up your podcast a little bit because, you know, yours is newer. Who does that? <laughs> That's amazing. You know, I'm actually going to give somebody a shout out. And if you're not connected to this individual, I want to connect you. His name is Casey hmm. Stubbs. And he's an individual that did something like that for me. So he yeah. has figured out how to monetize his website. He's figured out how to monetize his podcast. And he teaches people how to trade, which is something hmm. that you could relate to because he works in the financial markets. That's awesome. He'd be good for you. He's, a, I think, a dad of nine I mean, he, wow. he is, has an amazing story. And after our podcast, yeah, he hmm. noticed some holes in what I was doing. And, and, and he also has done some things that he thought could apply to what I'm doing. And he yeah. made a 30-minute 30, a 30 shared screen presentation for me and like an outline of how to execute it and sent it to me. This is amazing. Above and beyond. I mean, that is way better than a podcast review. That is yeah. way better than, you know, the yeah, average anything, Even sharing, yeah, even sharing your podcast with other people. It's like, yeah, when you take your time to do something like that, that is just huge. And, you know, like I said, that's that's been the thing that I've seen from, you know, our community is just, there's just some amazing people. And I, I, you know, I look at the amazing relationships I've had over this last, especially last year, as I started doing more and more interviews. Um, you know, I, I'm just amazed at the people that I've gotten to know. I mean, and they're people that, you know, are going to be friends for the rest of my life, which is huge. And many of them I've never met in person. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I will yeah. say when you get to occasionally meet one in person, and I hope we'll get to do that because we're in the same state now. Yeah, finally. <laughs> it's, it's so crazy. Like, yeah. it's just, it deepens the relationship. And that's the thing for me, and we were kind of talking about this offline, is intentionality. Like, yes. I'm not looking to collect people. Like, mm. I am super intentional in who I give my time to. And I do a gut check, right? Like, because mm. you learn that from being an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. You got to do a little bit of research. You definitely got to listen to your gut. And a lot of times your gut will tell you right away if this is somebody that you should get to know and spend more time yeah. with. Yeah. And I mean, and I think, you know, you and I both shared that that goal with each other that, you know, this is a year of intentionality. You know, for me, it was selling my my other business or one of my businesses at the end of last year and looking at okay what am i doing this year going forward you know this is this is the first day of the rest of your life and what you know what do you want to do what do you you know what i want out of life and you know for me this year it was about intentionality and you know my definition of intentionality is literally saying i'm going to do this and then executing on those things and and it's things that push my boundaries a little bit. It's things that, you know, deepen relationships that I have. I mean, I, I put together a bucket list and that's a big part of being, you know, Freedom Day for me is 
that bucket list is my, you know, it's basically my instruction sheet for how I live my life now. Do you want to share too, like what you're doing for the first time in six years? Yes, which is the first time in six years of building businesses. I'm actually going on a full week's vacation. Um, and one of our first bucket list items, my wife and I said, you know what? We want to do Valentine's Day somewhere outside of the country. So we're going to London for a full week and spending a week in London, kind of just living the London lifestyle. And we'll have a whole bunch of other things that we're doing while we're there. So there just there's a few fun things to so make sure you keep your eye on the uh, our YouTube channel for that, because there, there's going to be some really fun, cool things. And I, I will say there will be a, an entire segment video filmed with a song by Warren Zevon. I'll just leave it at that. And you'll have to wait and see. Oh, my God. That's so cool. So I actually like thinking about you doing that, like want to now incorporate that. I think I'm going to copy. That's a great idea. I actually love the idea of seeing if we can extend our date night, just not one night, but maybe make it a weekend or see how we can get the in-laws involved in watching the kids and yeah. not being rushed back. Yeah. Right? Like, I guess I'll start there. Yeah. <laughs> That. Well, I mean, you know, and that's a lot of what we had to do, you know, I mean, the last six years, seven years, we've been building businesses and, you know, we just couldn't get away. I mean, and, and a lot of times it was just Crystal and I that were running some of these businesses by ourselves, And so it's not like I can just take off and take off for a week. I mean, she's going to be stuck running the business. And until we started building systems and, and hiring employees and and stuff like that, I mean, we we weren't able to do this. So we would do these little, you know, short weekend things. We might, you know, take off on a Friday and come back on a Sunday or something like that. You know, it was a good start. Um, this is the first of 24 months of planning that go into in 24 months, we're going to take an entire month and move to another country for, and live there for an entire month, probably England again, because we're big England fans. Uh, but this time it'll be out in the countryside in one of those little villages and just become like a villager for a month. That sounds remarkable. I will say my move to Texas is going to take the place of London for this year. Yeah. We just moved from Chicago after living in Chicago for a decade. And yeah. let me tell you, it has been <laughs> one heck of an adjustment. <laughs> you, ain't, you ain't in Chicago anymore, honey. <laughs> It's been an adventure. Like, yeah. what's been so cool is when we very first moved, uh, we, we did move to a place that the landlord was covering up some problems with the house. So we actually had to move twice in. I remember this. Yeah. Insane. But you learn so much from challenging yourself, right? Like, I've never had to get a lease release. I've never mm -hmm. had to manage contractors in another state to sell my house out of state. Like, and. Yeah, you just every challenge that you take on, you grow from. You really yeah. and truly do. So well, I'm kind of I mean, yeah. shaking it up. <laughs> and move, yeah, and moving a new, yeah, you know, moving to a new town. I mean, it is kind of being in in a place that you've never been to before, and you get to yeah. do little day trips with the family. And you know, I mean, the the beauty of Houston is you're close to the ocean. You're close, you know, you're you're basically kind of in a, a great place to where you can get to a lot of different places. So. I've, I've loved being a tourist to a new place. Mm -hmm. we, you know, we've checked out comedy clubs. We've talked to locals. I actually met the owner of the, the Houston Improv. I've actually tried wow. to get 
a guy who was on my podcast a, a spot here because he was going to perform in Dallas. So I was like, hey, if you're doing mm-hmm. Dallas, let me get you in with the Houston I'm guy. And it, gave me, it gave me a reason to like connect to the owner. I worked the, I the chick who was working the door, you know, made friends with her, gave her a little tip. She introduced me to the owner, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. So let's kind of talk a little bit about, you know, we were talking about the, you know, what you'd been doing with freelancing and things like that. And a few years ago, you, how did you get into the podcasting world? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I guess it started because I worked for a financial firm in Chicago and I also worked for a telecom company and I was doing lunch and learn events for a while. And that's okay. actually where I really started learning how to use LinkedIn. I was Hmm. like, oh, wow, you can do searches and you can just type in, you know, second degree connections and who's a CFO, who's a head of customer experience. You can literally type in people's titles and connect Mm -hmm. with those people, especially if you know the companies that you want to invite to the event. So you find the the titles of the people at the companies that you want to connect to and start there. Yeah. It just was like so natural for me to do that. Like you connect with them, you say, hey, we have similar friends and interests. Let's connect. Then you get better at the pitch. You're like, oh, I actually know this person. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, so I I started learning LinkedIn and putting together these events and documenting the behind the scenes of these events that I was putting together, which then Mm. led to larger events. You know, you start small, then it stacks upon itself, then right? It got it kind of uh, then starts not, coming. Not everything you. is like going from, you know, college to Springer. You know, it's... <laughs> you go from like outbound though to inbound, yeah. right? You go from you doing the outreach to then the people coming to you. Mm. And so at first I was connecting with people, but then they start introducing you to people. Then people okay. start reaching out to you and then they're like, hey, can I co-sponsor one of these with you? Then people that are putting on bigger events were like, hey, could you help me with other aspects? of the event. And so Mm -hmm. that is really how I got into podcasting was I connected with somebody on LinkedIn. He was looking for somebody to help him book guests on his show. Then he was like, Oh wait, you worked in radio. Would you ever like to co-host my show? Then I found a love there. It like sparked something. So then a podcaster was like, Hey, I'm putting on an event with 350 people. So it was just kind of like that. It was like, first I started putting on events. Then I, co-hosted a show, then a podcaster reached out to me, then she wanted me to work for her full time. Then the Mm. pandemic happened. I'm like, why can't I do this for myself? I've been working behind the scenes for 20 years. Now I've worked for some influencers. Now I've worked for some podcasters. Now I know how to run a community. Now I've done some coaching. So it's like, you start to see what you're good at. And then Mm -hmm. why can't I do this for myself? And so finally, about three years ago, I took the plunge of I'm going to do this for myself. And the reason I was able to do it is because I had enough side hustles. I had enough yeah. streams of ways I was getting paid to, to do it. Yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, but then began to focus on, Hey, I really love this. And, yeah. and you've grown immensely over that time period. And I mean, had some really high end guests on the show. It's, it's unbelievable, but I will say, and this, this goes along with the theme of my show, which is called better call daddy is that he's always been my backbone. Like even my dad was an entrepreneur. My grandparents were entrepreneurs. I saw them pivot. I saw them struggle. I saw them constantly reinvent themselves. I saw Mm -hmm. them travel for customers. I saw them doing the time cards. I saw who they hired. I, you know, it's in my blood. Right. And so 
yeah, I would call my dad. How do I price my services? How do I take additional clients? Mm -hmm. How do I do better contracts? How do I not get screwed? Right. And my dad would give me great advice. And so then I was like, oh, wait, this advice could help other people. This is good stuff. I was like, maybe I should do a show where I share your wisdom with the world. And that's what happened. Yeah. And so how does he explain how he fits into the shows? Yeah. So in the beginning, I I have to say, I was like, ooh, I want to do a show that's like shock and awe. Like, let me show my casting chops. Let me, you know, have a phone sex operator and let me have a Jeffrey Epstein survivor. And, you know, because I'm really good at reaching hard to reach people. But what I found is that those weren't the stories. I mean, yeah, they get eyeballs, right? Mm -hmm. But those weren't the stories that were really resonating with people. The the stories that were really resonating with people were... People that also looked up to their dad or didn't have the relationship with my dad that they wanted that relationship. So those were the stories I started leaning into was what dad communities can I be a part of, right? Mm -hmm. And so, or what other creators haven't told their personal stories? What other creators haven't told their dad's story? What, you know, what other men issues could I cover? Like, what about a guy who grows up, you know, and his mom's suicidal? What kind of dad does that make you? What kind of person does that make you? There's so many angles to the family element that I really wanted to, like, focus on intergenerational wisdom, childhood trauma, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Often created by our parents. (laughs) Right. And me as a mother of four, like, how can I do things better? Yeah. Right. So I do feel like there's Mark, an entrepreneurship. He's absolutely angle. hilarious. That's that's the funny. He's absolutely hilarious because he's got that East Coast wit. So. Yeah, and yeah, that. So my dad's a total character. I always make jokes that he's like the Jewish Tony Soprano. You know, yeah. like he looks like him. He wears a fedora. Like he kind of has got that New York vibe, even though he lives in Kentucky. Yeah, but he and he's lived there like for most is. of his life now. <laughs> Yeah, he tells it like it is. He's a straight shooter. Sometimes mm. I have to edit him a little bit, but he brings back, you know, that realness. And it's it's a relationship mm. that can't be replicated, but it's also a relationship that so many people can relate to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think that's, you know, the other cool part is you have something that, you know, it's a, it's a record of him throughout the rest of, you know, his life. And, you know, it's a record for your kids and everything else to, to get to know their grandfather. So... Um, I think that's such a cool thing. I, I always think of like uh, Steve Irwin's kids, you know, the crocodile hunter. I mean, you know, even though they were really young when he died, you know, they basically have a relationship with him because of, you know, basically he was on video for 20 years. So, Yes. Yes. That actually is another part of why I'm doing it. Like I've included mm-hmm. my kids in the intros. I've included my kids nice. in the transitions. I I feel like it's brought out creativity in my kids. It's funny because mm-hmm. I'm getting ready to start with a radio station, which I'm going to give yeah. them a little plug. It's called cool.fm. And it never would have happened if I didn't create this show. So many opportunities have happened where they're going to now like rebroadcast episodes of my show. They're interested oh, in in me doing some exclusive interviews. They're interested in highlighting other podcasters and they like the realness of me, including my kids. They said, if one comes mm-hmm. in, let them do an intro. Don't, yeah. don't push your kids out of the room. Right. Yeah. Include, Just bring them in. <laughs> include the realness. I think yeah. that is part of the appeal, right? Like if yeah. you lean into what 
you naturally love, people feel that. Well, but I mean, the, the other part of it is that's really your life. You know, some mm-hmm. people try and build this life, you know, or this this thing about themselves that doesn't exist. But, you know, I mean, the reality is just be who you are, you know, and, and yeah, I, I always laugh because, I mean, there's so many of these people that that are out there and we all know them on the Internet. And, you know, oh, they're oh, well, I drive a Lamborghini and all that. I'm like, I, I really don't I'm not that interested in that. Now there is on my bucket list. I am going to drive a Lamborghini, but I'm going to drive it at the F1 track here in Austin. So I don't have to drive the car anywhere else because they drive for crap off of the, on the road. So that would be so cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I mean, how do you I, get to do that? Yeah. And I can still take a picture with it. I don't own the car, but I got to drive it on an F1 track and it's 400 bucks. You know, those are the things I, I came to the reality as I was starting to build a bucket list. I'm like, there's so many wildly cool experiences that you can do, and they're four or five hundred bucks. And I came to the reality. In fact, I was our friend Roger Williams. We were sitting here talking one day, and we were kind of talking around. Um, and, and Roger runs the the Crosser Offer podcast, so he's he's like the king of bucket lists. And we were talking about, you know, we both love planes, trains, and automobiles. And we were kind of talking through that. And I said, you know, Roger, I just came to the realize, a realization that there's like 12 things that I want to do in the next year. And they're all worth roughly about four or $500. And all I need to do is create an extra four or $500 worth of income to pay for that. And I can do one of those every month. And so that's really, that's really what I've been working on was building an extra four or 500 bucks through my shows and sponsorships and stuff like that mainly for the reason that I can go do fun stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, it doesn't mean you have to have millions of dollars to do to, to do these amazing things in life. Yes, I love that point. That's so good. And I think that we should journal it and yeah. brainstorm with the people around us. Like, ask your, your friends, like, what's the coolest thing they've ever done? Like, something that you need to experience, right? Like, mm. everybody has a favorite restaurant or a crazy place that they've been to that they've you know, not seen elsewhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, I, I, in, in planning my daughter's bat mitzvah, even too, like, you know, she does balloons for the rockets. She does balloons for the mayor's office. Yeah. And I was like, Hey, like my son needs to do some volunteer work. Have you ever done volunteer mm-hmm. work? Or do you know a good organization in town? I know you do giving back opportunities. Yeah. So yeah. that even sparked an awesome conversation. Yeah. And she was like, you know what? At one point in my life, I hit a, ru- a rough patch and I had to live at a shelter. She's like, now I go do balloons at that shelter. I was like, oh my God, that's that so awesome. cool. <laughs> and it made me love her as a balloon artist even more. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I was like, there's no question I want to work with her now. Yeah. You're, right? you're that person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's that's, you're you're the person I, I understand that personal story and it's it's asking people's personal stories. I mean that it's yeah. why I do these interviews like this is I I find I, I learn so much about people and and they'll let go and just say, Hey, well blah blah and for me it's been, hey, I'm gonna take a note of that because I'd kinda like to do that too. You know, Roger, he I mean he did the he did the the whole Camino de Real and I'm like Oh my god. Yeah, god. not really me, man. I'm I'm you know, I I'll just go to Spain and go and drink and eat, but uh yeah, and that, Yeah, that, that's that, more my speed. Good good on you, buddy, but I'm gonna just go drink and eat in Spain for a month and uh you know, you can go do the Camino and I'll catch you at the end, but 
I would like to, and it's a small task and a lot of people do it, but I would like to run one 5k and I have been slowly working, very slowly working up to it on the treadmill. I I've tried, I think three different, how to get to 5k courses. Plans. Yes. I'm about halfway through all of them. I need to just commit. Just one little bit more. It's actually not as hard as it sounds. So. Man, All right, my friend, let's uh, let's transition into the fast five questions now, because I can't wait to hear these. I know you are prepared for one. So you wake up in the morning, business is gone. You have 500 bucks in your pocket, laptop, computer, place to live. What are you going to do first? Call daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else is going to say that. But truthfully, I really think. I would buy a good mic and a hosting platform and start a podcast because it is so easy to connect with people when you want to learn about them, when you want to spotlight them. And the best yeah. way to get an opportunity is when you're helping someone else out. Hmm. That's I awesome. That. I love that answer. I love that answer. And 500 bucks, you can get a mic and a good webcam and you're ready to rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Second question. What's the biggest business mistake you've ever made? Yeah, this was a hard one. Mm. And it it goes back to <sighs> contracts. <Yep. laughs> I have been royally screwed over by mm. trusting people. It's just my nature. And yeah. it does not matter how enforceable that contract is. It's also a trust factor. Yes, you want to have a lawyer. There's so many people that don't want to operate via contract, but you have to mm. insist on it. And it's so easy yeah. today with DocuSign. They've got to be willing to put it in writing and spell out very detailed what is expected on both sides. Yeah. And, and you realize uh, it's funny as, as I was selling my business and I, I was grousing the entire last two weeks of the year because the, you know, the attorneys are bickering back and forth and all that. And you, you read the, you know, you read the sales contract and it's like, okay, you've said the same thing 14 freaking times, but you realize why that's so important. You know, I mean, it, it was a, it was a large chunk of money that and changed hands and it's like, yeah. And that, and the lawyer wasn't cheap, but, uh, but well worth every dime. But I mean, the reality was, it was also, it was a lot, of, there's a lot of just things down the road that can be, you know, could cause problems and hiring somebody that can think through all of that, having an attorney look at it is just critical. I mean, and, and it's something that people don't do. They'll just put together a contract that they pulled off the internet and they don't have an attorney look it over. And then you're fighting, you know, down the road, you're fighting all kinds of issues. Oh my gosh. So yes, that is something that I would say is that get clear on expectations and yep. it is worth the money to hire somebody who has your best interests in mind. Yeah. And if you can't, if you don't do that, I mean, there's, there's online resources. Uh, you know, I use one through, uh, through legal shield that's for businesses, yeah. Yeah. you know, and it's, 40 bucks a month. And I, yep. at any time I can write up a contract and ship it over to them and have a conversation with a top tier lawyer that'll go through that. And they'll tell you, okay, take this out, do this different, add this in, 
you know, and, and take it. And then you've got a valid contract that you're working with. And it's honestly a red flag if somebody isn't willing to do it with you. Yeah. No, I, I just don't do business with people anymore. <laughs> I, I, we were talking about that. I mean, I, I just don't handshake business deals anymore. <laughs> I've gotten screwed too many times. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I've it's, experienced it's, it's that always a in writing. Times. Yes, exactly. <laughs> What's a good book that you would recommend for our audience? Well, it goes along with the lesson that I learned. It's actually okay. a book called The Speed of Trust by Stephen nice. M.R. Covey. Okay. And trust is it goes hand in hand with being willing to write an honorable contract, hmm. right? Business deals can happen very quickly. I mean, I signed on with this radio station in one week because <laughs> of how professional and how trustworthy they conducted themselves, mm -hmm. right? So that's awesome. So yeah, I, I think it's really important to study trust and people that conduct themselves in, in that kind of manner. It was a really well-written business book. That's fantastic. Love that. What's a tool that you use in your business every day that you might recommend? <laughs> Honestly, I was thinking when you asked that question, some sort of like recording software like Riverside or Zoom, mm -hmm. because... yeah even when I'm meeting with somebody for the first time and we're just in negotiations and we're getting to know each other, you never know when there's like a good moment that could make a behind the scenes clip as yeah. somebody who does social media for people like behind the scenes action. Like I mentioned at the beginning of this is what people want to know, right? Like yeah. when did you start talking to these people that you might work for with the radio station? So literally the very first call with them, I was like, Hey guys, like we all have that face right now where we're loving each yeah. other. Let's take a picture. Right. So I would say if you have an exciting opportunity that doesn't happen all the time or something that you're thinking could turn into something, take a moment and snap a photo or reflect on that. And if you don't want to take notes, record. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and uh, yeah, I'm horrible at taking notes, so I always record. Uh, <laughs> but how many times you and I have had conversations and we're like an hour later going, oh, shit, we should have recorded this because we had some great stuff. So I'll tell you last on my question. podcast. Sorry, I, I was just going to say, like on my podcast, I hit record from the moment I connect with the guest till the moment we get off because and, and I want them to know that, too, because yeah. like I said, it starts off conversational, it ends conversational and there's beautiful moments in just the conversational side. And you can pull like little chunks of it out and things like that. So I love it. Yeah. Last question. What is your definition of freedom? Yes. I have to say, I did ask my dad about this, but mm -hmm. he pretty much agrees with me. And freedom to me is choice. Freedom to me mm -hmm. is, it's not other people's idea of success. Mm -hmm. Freedom to me is being able to be proud of myself for where I'm at and mm -hmm. the decisions that I've made. You know, I, I feel like too often we're trying to live up to other people's standards. Yeah. And if you can be happy with where you're at in life, man, that is freedom, freedom of your yeah. mind, freedom of everything. <laughs> well, and that, that leads to other freedoms as a result of that. I mean, yes. if, if you get out of your own way and a lot of times, I mean, that's, that's what helps you to get to where you want to be. I totally agree. Yes. And don't be desperate to take opportunities. Like take a moment yeah. to breathe. Desperation. Yeah. And if it doesn't feel right, don't do it. That's what we were talking about earlier. If it doesn't feel right in your gut, just don't do it. 
or or make sure you spell out the details extremely well. Otherwise, you're going to be facing the same opportunity <laughs> again and the same gut reaction that says no. It's going to be horrible all over again. So if someone wants to get a hold of you or wants to listen to the podcast or whatever, what's the best ways for people to get in contact with you or, or learn more about you? Thank you so much. You're amazing. I just love this show and you. My podcast is Better Call Daddy at bettercalldaddy.com. Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and I love social media. I love all things marketing. So please connect with me in any and all of those places. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, I think the last time we were going to record was when you were going through all your plumbing issues. So it was, we finally got back together. Oh, well, let's tell the audience that was drain flies. If you move to Texas and you see drain flies, you have a broken pipe and it cannot be fixed with a bug man. You need to redo your pipes. You need, you need plumbers to be involved in that. Wow. Um, yeah, I've lived in Texas for most of my life and I've never seen drain flies. So you, you have experienced something I have never learned, but I know now if I see drain flies, I'm in trouble. So yes, it is a major problem. It cannot be fixed with bleach. It is wow. a major problem. It's probably 90% of the time a cracked pipe. Ugh. Yeah. It was gross. Okay. Well, thank you for being on my friend. I appreciate it. And everybody, uh, check out her show. You will love it. Uh, she has some of the coolest guests. I mean, I, she's on my, my list every week of, of podcasts that I listen to and, and just absolutely one of the most wonderful people I know. So, um, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. I can't wait to have you on my radio show. I can't wait. Yeah. This is awesome. Now you're, now you're moving up in the world. So, and then, then you'll have your own Jerry Springer show and I can come on and throw chairs at people and things like that. It'll be awesome. All right. From your mouth to God's ears. All right. Let's go. Thank you for listening to the Freedom Nation podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and all the major channels. Wherever you're listening, please subscribe to the channel and leave a rating and review. If you have friends and family that could benefit from their own Freedom Day, please share with them. Finally, join Freedom Nation by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 